Lord, I want to pray for right now. I want to pray for this message. Lord, as we are pre-born, <laughs> as we are as a congregation, not yet born, but, but, but having been in the womb for some months now and growing in that safe place and, and, and learning each other and learning about you and, and getting ready to welcome and extend your welcome to this town. Lord, I pray that this passage, which is about a bunch of your people who were in the womb, a bunch of your people who hadn't yet gone public, a bunch of people who had followed you and gotten to know each other, but now you're calling them and you're moving them out. And I pray that you would, you would encourage us with these words. Lord, thank you for being good to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to read this entire chapter. We're in Acts chapter 2. The last few weeks, we've been starting in Acts, and we took a long time. It feels longer than it was because for two weeks, we were in Acts chapter 1, and then one week, I just preached on Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then we had Dylan come and talk about leaders for the movement and how they appointed another leader. And we've been spending all this time in the first chapter. And even one week, we were commissioned. So we didn't have service. And we were commissioned from our mother church in Camden. And so we've really been here in this one chapter for a month. But we're about to get moving really quick. So we're about to go from first gear to sixth gear, and we're not going to read every chapter in Acts, and what we're going to do is we're going to pick certain chapters, which are thematic, which kind of go over big ideas of what kind of church we see being born. Tonight, we're going to talk about the birth of the church, and we're going to talk about topics like the generous church, the persecuted church the miraculous church. So we're, we're going to talk about some of these themes we see in Acts all the way to the end of November when in the beginning of December, this is really, really cool. We're going to be able to do our first Advent time season and join churches all over the face of the earth, right? And sing our hymns and, and, and remember the prophecies about how Jesus would come but right now we're in this series on Acts, which we call Jesus Keeps It Moving. Why Jesus Keeps It Moving? Because he keeps it moving through his spirit, working in his people. So Acts is actually a part of a two-part series. The Gospel of Luke is the first part, and Acts is the second part. We know that because Luke writes this letter. In the beginning of Luke, he says... Theophilus, which is Greek for friend of God, right? Theophilus, I wanted to put in order a good account of what Jesus did. Then in the beginning Acts, he says, Theophilus, I told you about all that stuff in my first book. Now I'm writing the second one to tell you about how Jesus continued to work, the things he continued to do. And it's kind of like, wait a second, Jesus is out by verse 11. 
And we've got 29 chapters, 28 chapters in Acts, right? So how is Jesus continuing to work? He's continuing to work through his people. He promised his spirit. He's continuing to work. He's continuing to move through his people. And we really need to get that. If we are going to be a community that means anything for this town, that means anything in our own lives, we need to know that it's not just a bunch of, you know, it's not just like follow Jesus's philosophy, follow Jesus's ideals, be kind and love everybody. Yeah, it's that, right? But it's more than that. It's, it's actually Jesus living in you, moving in you, empowering you to love people in your life. Because I don't know about you, but, but I need Jesus. I need him in my life. I can't just get around by just trying to be a good person. I need confession and I need repentance. I need to say daily, you know, Lord, I've sinned the things that I did and the things I left undone. Forgive me. I need the Spirit to work in me, to convict me, to cut my heart. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this chapter, and that's going to be the, the main part of this. We're going to let Peter preach to us. I'm going to, I'm going to step aside a little bit. Peter preaches a lot in this chapter. We're going to listen to Peter, okay? I'm going to give a little bit of exposition as we go, and then I've got a few words at the end of it, okay? Let me read. So in these Bibles that you have, and we're going to be getting Bibles soon for our, on our own. The, the, this is a perfectly good translation. Most translations are pretty good in English. It's just a little bit more difficult to read than it has to be. Not as hard as King James, but, but you should be able to understand it. But soon we'll have, we'll have our own Bibles, which you'll be able to take and have one for yourself so you can follow along and take it home and all that. All right, on page 92 of the second part of, the, of your church Bible, page 92 at the bottom there, Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. First of all, Pentecost, right? It's the harvest day for the, for the Jews. It's the day of the harvest. It's about 50 days, 50 days after the Passover, okay? Which is also 50 days after Jesus was crucified. Jesus told them to wait, and they, they listened to him. They were in one place. They were together praying. Remember, Dylan left us. They were in that upper room, which is like, that row home up on the third floor all together. There was how many of them? Do you remember? 120. 120 people are together. They're in one place. Verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire 
distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So you got two different symbols here. You have the one of wind and you have the one of fire, right? And the, and the tongues of fire, just like think of a candle, you know, looks like a tongue, the little flame. They have flames sitting on top of these people. And can you imagine what that was like? And wind blowing through the place. So Jesus talked about the spirit being like the wind. You, you remember that passage that everybody, uh, you know, they take their shirt off and they, they paint John 3.16 and they're at the, you know, they're at the game. I don't know, it used to be in the 90s, they see that a lot, right? John chapter 3, it's that night that Nicodemus comes to Jesus, asks Jesus some stuff about religion, wants to have a debate. Jesus isn't into debates. Jesus is into revealing Nicodemus. Jesus is into just revealing who, where Nicodemus really is. And he says, right before he says, you know, that famous verse about, you know, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, he says to him, the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where it's going. I had a history teacher at the public school I went to, surprisingly, and he would ask this question, and everybody had to do this essay. What can't you taste, see, or touch, but you can see the effects of it? What can't you taste, see, or touch, but you can see the effects of it? And the answer is wind. When you have a crazy amount of wind, you can't see it unless it's really humid, right? You can't see it. You can't, like, touch it, okay? And you can't taste it. <laughs> you try, but you can't taste it. And the point is that wind is something that you, it's just there. You don't really know where it's coming from, where it's going. You don't understand everything about it. But you see when the tree is knocked down and crashes through your house, right? Like you see the effects. The effects are huge. And Jesus is painting a picture. And the, and the Bible paints a picture. That's how God's spirit is, working in people's lives. You don't see God's spirit, but you see, you see the restoration that he brings. You see the, the change in people's lives. You, you, you see the power of the wind and the flames. That that's, goes way back to the prophets. The flames, it's a, it's a symbol of cleansing. It's a symbol of purification. Now, I know you guys are um, not like me. You probably don't have a story like this. But when I was a kid, sometimes, sometimes my mom didn't pay the electric bill. So... I remember one time my aunt was over the house, and um, she, she like really liked these these those chocolate Edmund donuts. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, "Hey, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're really good." And we had them over in the kitchen. I went and grabbed them because I knew she really liked them. And I bring them out. It's night, and we can't see nothing. 
and I open up the the end and I open it up and I and I and she puts her hand in there and she grabs them and she says, wait a second, these aren't chocolate, these must be those crumb cake ones, right? Well we go outside to the street light, it was the chocolate ones, but there were ants all over the chocolate donuts. And like I said, you guys are all classy. You don't have stories like that, I know. But <laughs> only me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, listen, Jesus talks about this. He says, don't, don't focus on cleaning the outside of the cup. Right? That's what, that's what religious people do. They just focus on cleaning the outside. Clean the inside. Don't give me a donut full of ants in the dark. And God has to clean his people. He has to set them apart, and he has to transform them. And that's why he says, wait in the city. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And now we have a picture of it. And the tongues of fire represent that the spirit is coming, setting apart his apostles, which is building his church on. And he needs to set them apart for his work. Verse 5, now they were Jews in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when they, when the sound occurred, the crowds came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Like, how can, how can these people from this, like, backwater town, like, we all know the accent that they have when they speak their Aramaic. Like, we can tell where they're from. That, you know, Galilee would have been like the Kentucky. Like, people would have known as soon as they opened up their mouth, these people aren't from here. They're not from the city. And all of a sudden, we hear them. We, we know who these people are and where they're from. And we hear them in our own language. Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygra and Phylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Serene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We are hearing them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Don't miss this. They had to come down from the upper room for this crowd to gather around them. We also have to get out of the church and get on the block, right? we got to get out of the church on the block, and we've got to allow people to see what it is we're talking about when we're talking about the Lord. And as they get out, and as what God is doing in this, this room, it spills out onto the streets. People are hearing them preach, and they're hearing it in their own language. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. 
For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. Now, the third hour of the day, in the, in the, the way that the ancient world kept time, and actually we lived for four years in Africa, and they still use this time system in Africa as well. The third hour of the day is nine o'clock in the morning. So maybe if, if Peter were preaching in Gloucester, he would have found some people drunk at nine in the morning. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but he was saying, listen, we're not drunk. I have a lot of respect for Gloucester. Okay? I, grew up, I grew up in Mayfair. All right. This is no different. So listen, he's about to preach. Let's listen to, let's listen to him. He quotes Joel, and it shall be in the last day, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the skies above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him and in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God rose him up on, again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says, I saw the Lord always in my presence for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you Allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full, you make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so he began... He was a prophet, and he knew that God had sworn to him with him an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did he suffer decay. Hades is death, the place of the dead. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promises of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at the, my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. 
for your feet. Therefore, let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Somebody say, pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. From the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and on that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Do you know how loud you got to speak before PAs for 3,000 people to hear you? It's pretty loud. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and all and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continued with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. When I, when I read that picture of the birth of the church, what's going on in your heart? I hope, I hope you're excited. I hope you're like, I want that. I want to see that. Now, I, I, I've seen, even in all the few months we've been together, people who are willing to, to lend each other stuff they weren't using, right? Open up their homes to others. We're, we, see like a, we see a preview of this. But what would it be like for us to see folks selling their possessions? Not just like, oh, you can have this, I'm not using it. But selling stuff they might even like and want and use just that nobody would be among them in need. What would it be like for people to continually, day by day, share meals with each other, be devoted, as it says, to the teaching of the apostles? What would it look like for the word to go out and every time it did, people were coming to the Lord? This has been called many different things, and this happens multiple times in Acts, and this summary of the church happens just like five times in Acts, and it happens throughout church history as well. There are these times of awakening. There are these times when the Spirit is poured out. And I just got these three ways that we know, three ways from this text that we can know that the Spirit is being poured out. Okay? 
And the, the first one is this physical demonstration, right? This physical demonstration. How do they know the Spirit was being poured out? Well, fire came down from heaven, right? Rested on their heads. That's a pretty good sign. Then also the wind started kicking up, and it was a wind of God, not a normal wind. That's a pretty good sign. And as the text says, and doesn't go into detail, God was performing on a regular basis signs and wonders. What does that look like? We know what that looks like. We know that that looks like from Luke's own record of what Jesus was doing in the Gospel of Luke and what the, the, the people of God would continue to do and will be recorded later in the book of Acts. Blind people got their sight back. People who couldn't walk were able to walk. People who were leprous and nobody could touch them were touched in love and welcomed into God's family. So that's one demonstration, the physical right in your face. Another one is an emotional response, right? It says they were pierced, pierced to their heart. I don't know if you've ever been cut or pierced to the heart. It's not a good feeling. But it's a feeling that you have that, that leads to life in the end. I, I, just, I just want to ask you again, do you long for this at all? Do you long to see restoration? Do you long to see God work in a visible way? Do you long to see lives restored? to see the communities having hope? Do you long to see God working? When you come to really meet Jesus and really have his spirit in you, what you loved before changes and what you feared before changes, right? So before, before Jesus, most of us, are sort of ruled by thinking about, like, how do other people think of me? And no matter how tough you are, and actually the tougher you try to show yourself to be, the easier it is for me to tell, yeah, you're afraid of what people think of you. <laughs> you want to project a certain image, but we all do in our own different ways. We're scared to death. And then we're freed by all of that when we meet Jesus. We're freed by it. Because now it's like, it's like as, if God is happy with me, if God accepts me, why do I have to be on this treadmill making sure that everybody else accepts me? If God loves me, I can actually love people even when they don't respond back in love. It changes what you fear. It also, it, it changes what you love. And all of a sudden, things that had no interest in your life, meeting with God's people, reaching out to people, seeing people in need. Like you see people in need on the side of the road and you're like, sucks to be them. And you just keep moving on. Or now all of a sudden you see them on the side of the road and you're like, wait, <laughs> I got to stop. 
I got to see what's going on. I'm in their head. What's their day like? What are they going through? Finally, it's demonstrated by a change in life. And we don't see that particularly in this passage, but we know it's true from the rest of the passage. When you have the spirit in you, it's not just a physical, dramatic, something happens. It's not just an emotional, you feel, you know, cut and you, you feel pierced in your heart and you feel conviction. And now all of a sudden you want God where you didn't want him before, where Jesus moves from being a joke to a joy, where Jesus moves from being something completely irrelevant to your life to something that brings you life. It's life changing. That's the whole idea of repent. The whole idea of repent. You know, somebody once said, you know, if you are in a train going the wrong direction, it doesn't matter if you, if you realize that and you start walking up the other way in the train. Like a few weeks ago, every month I go to Annapolis, take the train down for some training with other people who are planning churches. And I was in the train about to come back up to Philly. And for a split second, I thought I was on the wrong train. I thought I was on the wrong train. And I was like, oh, I got to get off right now. <laughs> right? Because what's going to happen is I'm going to be all the way down in D.C. <laughs> so it's not going to help if I get up and I just start walking towards Philly, but the train is going like 300 miles an hour to D.C. from Baltimore, right? I, I need to get off the train. And that's what repentance is. It's not just feeling bad and like starting to walk the other direction for a little bit. See, a lot of us, that's what we've experienced. We've experienced that shallow sort of repentance, and we're like, it didn't stick. It didn't do anything. Now, you have to get off the train. You've got to stop everything you're doing. You get out, and you get on another path. You completely submit your life. Let me end with this. You see in this passage that everybody's sharing with each other. You see that they're devoted to the teaching. You see that they're eating together. We want to do all that here. We want to do all those things here. And we're not going to be the church ever that talks about money all the time. We're never going to be that church. Because there's plenty of churches that do that. It's really weird. I think it makes me uncomfortable. It makes everybody uncomfortable, right? But we're also not going to be the church that never talks about money. Because there is joy. Jesus says it's better to give than receive. And people are giving sacrificially. I told the story a couple weeks ago about Evgeny, who comes after working eight, nine hours in Camden, coming over here and installing windows until midnight up in our office. Windows he's coming out of pocket on his own to put so that we can have a decent place to work out of. Because he knows we work hard in this town. He wants to bless us. That kind of radical, I will give very generously type of thing happens when somebody's met Jesus and they have the spirit in them. And we, you know, if anybody in our community had a ton of money, I would have been in your ear personally. <laughs> but I realized like, 
the people here, people we've had, you know, who are regular here and couldn't be here tonight, like, like if we could just add up our congregation misdemeanor fines together, <laughs> we, we would have a lot of money. Like if we could somehow take all our debt collectively and flip it up, make it an asset, myself included, okay? But listen, it's not about giving what you wish you could give. It's giving what you can, doing what you can with what you have, and allowing God to transform that and to make that something special. So like I said, from now on, we've got that green box um, in the back, which I literally stole from Camden and spray painted it this week so it looks like something that's ours matching our colors can't be black or, or red because that's the colors of Camden. so i made it green i claimed it they come looking for it they'll be like i don't that we didn't have a box like that <laughs> why don't you do this if you're hearing all that I'm saying about the spirit and you're like, I want some of that, that's far out there. I don't know about all this spirit living in me. That sounds like really out there. Why don't, and, and, and everybody, why don't we, I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and just, and just pray with me right now. God, I pray that you would give us a hunger for what's going on here in Acts. I pray that we would see ourselves as a community in that pre-Pentecost time, that these months up until launch, that we would see ourselves as waiting, as praying, as, as building community, as coming together. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us, that, that in the months and weeks, days to come, that we would see breakthroughs in our lives. And that Everyone who is seeking you would find you in a deeper way. Lord, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 If you look in the back of your bulletin, I just want to bring to you notice we got a couple announcements.